Father, we do come to You tonight and we thank You for just the sweet spirit of worship, Lord, as we lift our voices to You in unity and set our hearts upon You, Lord. We're reminded of Your faithfulness, Your love, Your goodness. And God, uh, we just we ask that You would continue to minister to us tonight, God, speaking to us from Your Word, giving us ears to hear. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 15. Deuteronomy, chapter 15. Moses coming to the end of his ministry. Deuteronomy being that second stating of the law, kind of refreshing the law in the hearts and minds of the children of Israel. This being a new generation that has grown up in the wilderness, really. Uh, Forty years now out in that wilderness area. A whole new and younger generation coming up and Moses reinstating, kind of re uh, reminding them, if you will, the principles that uh, he received from the Lord uh, when he was at Mount Sinai and now really kind of bringing it back into their hearts. Tonight, chapter 15, uh, again, just much of this is review, things that we've seen in the book of Exodus and Leviticus because this is a restating of it, but uh, seems to be somewhat something of Moses's personal commentary kind of comes through in the book of Deuteronomy. So it's it's really a blessing to to go through it. And tonight we'll be looking at what I what I've kind of entitled stewardship and faith. Stewardship and faith. And uh, what we see is that Moses is going to talk very practically about um, just some of the conduct that that the children of Israel are to follow when they get into the land, especially about the way they will be treating one another and the debts and the canceling of debts, the way they're to look out for one another and and help and lend to the poor. And all of this is really, it comes from the idea that ultimately God is the one who has given everything to you that you have, and he's entrusted it to you as as a stewardship, and so then you should be generous and careful to take care of one another because God is the one who is ultimately taking care of you. And that's such a good principle to understand kind of even at the very foundation of our walk and relationship with the Lord. You know, when we, when we work with uh, young couples getting ready for marriage and we walk through the pre-marriage uh, curriculum that we have, one of the topics that we typically will cover in somewhere in our study together is the topic of finances because finances can always be such a, a, a challenge within the married life, how to prioritize and how to handle the pressures and how to... You know, really come together in unity about finances. You bring two people's lives together, and, you know, finances can be a challenge. And we always start with this first principle everything belongs to God. You have to start there. Uh, He is the one that has entrusted things to us, whether it be resources, whether it be money, gifts, skills, talents, abilities. Everything comes from the Lord. It's not yours to possess and, and fight over and bicker over. It's really God's who has set it into your hand to be a steward, to be a good, wise steward of the resource that He brings into your life. Some of it, of course, to bless you and to provide for you and you, your family and to enjoy. But some of it also to sow through you and to be a blessing and ministry to others. And those are some of the kind of the principles that uh, we'll see here in Deuteronomy chapter 15. 
And uh, one of the key phrases that comes up throughout this chapter is, the Lord your God uh, has greatly blessed you. And that's the basis for you being generous, for you being careful to look out for the needs of others, is because God has blessed you. Uh, If we were to look at it, just kind of overview of this chapter, in verse 14, "...except that there may be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance." Again in chapter six, or excuse me, verse six, for the Lord, I'm in Deuteronomy 15, and just kind of uh, pointing out these these verses where this phrase repeats, and then we'll take a look at the whole text. Uh, verse six, for the Lord your God will bless you, just as He has promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, for you shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Again in verse ten. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you will put your hand. Uh, Verse 14, you shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress, from what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. Verse 18, it shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been a uh, worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. You just see that phrase continued through the chapter. And I was able to get some of that up for you. Good. So that, that's the basis for our giving. That's the foundation for our generous hearts is because God has generously blessed us. We are to to, uh, freely give because we have freely received. We are to be forgiving one of another because we have been forgiven by the Lord. God has set these blessings in our lives and He has set them in our lives that we might walk in them through our lives. Okay, with that in mind, let's now take a look at the text. First thing that the uh, chapter 15 begins to speak about are debts that are to be canceled every seven years. Look with me, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you, just as He promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. God had instituted this uh, canceling of debts every seven years. There was to be no long-term debt within the nation of Israel, that is, amongst the brethren themselves. If a foreigner were to come in and establish debt, that could remain. But the debt that exchanged between uh, the tribes and between the, the, the actual nation of Israel was to be canceled and released 
every seven years. There was not to be any underclass burdened and overwhelmed with debt. There was to be a hope of opportunity to recover from a debt that you may have incurred. Notice that he says it is the Lord's release. God is the one that is asking you to release because it is coming from His heart. He is looking to release debt. It's His desire for recovery and restoration. God is looking to be merciful. God is looking to be gracious. This is in the heart of God. He delights in mercy. So God longing to to forgive, God longing to release, is now putting this into the heart of His people that, that you would also release debt one from another every seventh year. And this would give hope. This would give hope for someone that maybe had a bad year of crops or maybe made a bad business decision or maybe some crisis in the family caused you know, a situation where they were unable to keep up with uh, their normal obligations and they would have to borrow from their brethren, borrow from their neighbors, borrow from this, uh, those who dwelt in the various cities with them. And, you know, you could get to a place where you would never be released. You would, you would realize, I'll never be free of this debt. I have no means or ability to come back from this. That was not to be the case. God was to sow this into the nation, and this would always have that hope that in seven years, uh, really, there would be a release. And in obedience to, to this, uh, it's, again, it's the Lord's release. So in a sense, you're doing this unto the Lord and on behalf of the Lord. This is the Lord's blessing upon you. As I release you from this debt, it is the Lord's release. He is the one that has asked me to release you. It's His release. And God, as you saw there in our text, if you would obey this, God promised to bless and provide. And so there is a stewardship, a responsibility with the resources, but there's also a call to faith. You know, releasing debt means that, you know, you won't have as much coming back to you. So you have to do that in faith. And God said, listen, if you'll obey my principles concerning managing your resources, I will bless you. I'll take care of your needs. And ultimately, that's what you want. You want God providing Not you scratching and scrambling and trying to be self-sufficient, but rather God's blessing, God's grace upon your work, upon your, your field, upon your harvest. Because when God is blessing, you know, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have everything that you need. So this idea of releasing debts was to be part of really the national finance as they come into the promised land. Also, he would speak concerning care for the poor. Look now with me at verse 7. Is there, uh, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren with any, uh, within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you, sh- you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there is a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it become sin to you among you. You shall surely give to him, 
And your heart should not be grieved when you give to Him, because for this thing, here it is, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. A care for the poor. God wanting their hearts to be open and their hand to be uh, generous. A willingness to lend to those that have come under some kind of misfortune. Those that have fallen into poverty. That you would take care of one another. There would be a generosity amongst you that you would lend. And he says, you know, be careful. Be careful that when you lend, don't say in your heart, Oh gosh, we're coming up on year seven when I have to release all the debts. Come back to me next year. I'll lend, I'll lend you all you need because then I'll at least get six good years of payback from you. But right now, I'm a little, things are a little tight. I can't help you this year. God, knowing the heart of man, knowing our heart, said, Listen, don't, don't harden your heart. Don't try to beat the system. Don't try to you know, find a way to, to manage this. Do this and God will bless. If you'll do this, I'll take care of you. You're six. Oh gosh, I'll only get one year of kind of payback. Oh well. The Lord will take care of me. His brother's in need. I've got to help him. The Lord will take care of me. Now, we know that this is uh, to be balanced with wisdom. And we've even recently looked at passages that talk about you know, the responsibility that each believer has to provide for himself or herself through working and being diligent, not to take advantage. This is not some license to abuse and take advantage. This is rather a real hardship meeting the needs of one another that have come upon them, uh, not by any you know, purposed laziness or lack of diligence, but just life and things happen and you're to help. It's God providing us something of a safety net for the nation, a caring and a sharing with one another during a difficult time and providing a hope Again, of recovery and restoration because even what was loaned, uh, the person would know that in time it would be released. And the idea here is carrying a, a generous, caring and having a generous heart toward one another uh, with a, with a, that have a sincere and honest need. And again, the, the key verse in that little passage is verse 10, You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Not reluctantly, not begrudgingly. Why? Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. God will bless the giver. God will be generous with the generous. God will give seed for the sowing. And he who sows much, God will give increase to sow even more. This is the principle that God is is trying to sow into their hearts, that there's something of a stewardship. God has entrusted you with these resources. And then there's a step of faith. As you give them, as you release them, you're trusting that God will continue to provide those resources. So this care for the poor. Well, also, even uh, to the point of dealing with bondservants. Take a look now in verse 12. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall set him 
excuse me, you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress. For what the Lord has, from what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, then you shall take an an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servants you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So we see some rules here concerning bond servants. Again, this idea of a release after six years of service in the seventh year. Now, this didn't follow the same calendar as the release of debts. Uh, the release of debts, if you loaned in the third or fourth year, you would you, still, when year seven arrived, you would release. If someone came under such uh, financial duress that they actually had to sell their service, a kind of like a bankruptcy, they had no means of supporting themselves, they had to come and say, I'll, I'll serve you in your field and in your uh, uh, business and for for free and but you if you will take care of me because I have no way no means to to take care of myself so they basically sold themselves into service this would be for a six year window and in the seventh year they were be, to be released so even if the the year of debt release was two years away you would still give your full six years of service. And in this, you would actually earn your way back into financial stability. Again, something of a safety net, but also something of an opportunity to recover. An opportunity to kind of earn your way back to stability and financial ability to to manage your own affairs. And he says, listen, when, when you send him away, when you release him, You don't send them away empty-handed. You help them restart their lives. And again, from what the Lord has blessed you. Again, a stewardship. You understand what you have is from Him, and you give it to your brother to help him get started. And you don't do it grievously or you know, sadly in your heart. You're thankful that you had this individual serving for six years in your, in your, your, your affairs. And basically, it's been a blessing to you. You've had the benefit, and the Lord says, that's enough. That's enough for you to be be thankful for. Be thankful for the service that you had. And now, of of the abundance that God has given you, some of it because of their service, you now send them away with enough to get started from what the Lord has blessed you. So not something you don't have, but of what God has given you, a portion of what He has entrusted to you, you now give them something of a start. So God, again, wanting to sow uh, faithfulness, stewardship, but also hope. Hope of a, of a recovery. Hope of, of coming out of a trial. Hope of being delivered from a difficult situation. And he wanted that always in the heart of the nation. Yes, they would have trial. 
Yes, there would be bad uh, situations. Family members would die. The breadwinner, the, the father dies in an accident out in the field and the kids are not old enough to manage the crops. These kinds of things happened even in, even in the nation of Israel, even amongst Christian lives today. Things happen. But God's sowing hope even in the midst of trial. God would encourage, listen, we can get through this. God will be with you. God will bless. God will provide and carry you through this. And his idea was that this would be into the heart of the people. Now, if it happens that they want to stay, and it says because he loves you and and your house, and since he prospers with you. Now, so an individual would have the opportunity at the end of six years... You know, in different circumstances, you don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a single person. Uh, maybe they, they, they really don't have family to, to worry about in a situation. And you know what? This is, this, this is a good, good family that I'm serving and helping. And, uh, and it says, He loves you. He loves your household. And, the Lord, and He has prospered with you. In other words, you've been generous and, and he's, he's been blessed. It's like we've been partners in this together. And if he wants to stay, then you would allow... God says, look, there's provision for that. If they want to go free, you'll help them get started and you release them. If they really love and and enjoy what they're doing with you and it's a blessing for them and they just as soon stay there with you, then they can do so. This would be a choice. They would become a bond servant by choice. And you would pierce their ear and this would be the symbol that they are now part of your family. They're part of your uh, household and part of your long-term uh, financial work and, and business and field and, and, and harvest. And, you know, you might think, gosh, who would want to stay? But you have to remember, you know, our, our view of slavery and the oppressive, very ungodly examples that we have even in our history, it's different than what God is talking about here. Now, the Bible does not endorse slavery. Slavery is not something that the Bible encourages. And in some cases, uh, even into the, in the Roman years, of course, it was a very difficult, oppressive kind of thing. But God is actually, in this case, He's trying to set up the, a means by which people can recover financially and get back on their feet. So it's a different kind of service, a different kind of uh, selling themselves into a slave situation, not to be compared to our, you know, the kind of the connotations that come to our mind. This is something different. And God knew that in this caring and loving uh, system, there would be some who would say, why would I want to go try and start out on my own again? This is great. I love being right here. We're doing well. I'm doing well. You're, I'm a blessing to you. You're a blessing to me. I like to just stay on. And in which case, God made this provision. Now, this bond servant, uh, there is some idea here concerning Christ. We remember that Christ gave himself freely as a redemption for our sin. This is talking about an individual giving themselves to redeem themselves, but Christ gave of himself not to redeem himself, but to redeem us. Philippians talked about him willingly stepping down from his glory and humbling himself to become a man. And remember Christ when right at the right before the crucifixion, he said, No one takes my life, I lay it down. 
Jesus made that that decision. I will be uh, a, a bond slave to the cross because I, I want to do it freely of myself to redeem men from their sins. And those that would follow Christ, uh, there is in Peter... Uh, Peter refers to himself, 2 Peter verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter would, would draw on this idea, this imagery. I'm his and I'm happy to be his. I am by choice his servant. I have chosen to live my life in service to my master Jesus. So this idea of loyalty, this idea of love and devotion and living my life in service to Christ, it's communicated in this idea of bond service, and Peter would use it even referencing himself. Well, we look on now in verse 19. Some more instruction about offering of the firstborn. Take a look with me now. We're still in verse chapter 15. Pick it up with me in verse 19 through the end end of the chapter. All the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. But if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any service uh, serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You may eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean person alike may eat it as if it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it on the ground like water. Again, uh, I think the same theme is here. The idea of trusting God in your giving, even in your offerings to the Lord. Kind of seems out of place. I mean, we're talking about kind of taking care of the poor and how to manage, you know, the financial affairs between the nation. And all of a sudden, he's talking about the offering of of the firstborn. Well, again, I think it calls on that idea of faith. You know, this is a part of your giving something back to the Lord. The Lord will bless you. You give that firstborn of your flocks back to Him. And it was is intended to be something of a fellowship offering. You were to offer it. You were to enjoy a blessing of it. You and your family were to partake of that offering, to eat of that meal. But you were to do it after it had been offered to the Lord. You were to go and enjoy this meal with the Lord. Giving something back as a, as a kind of a, a statement of faith and thanks and acknowledgement, Lord, it all comes from you. This is not an atonement offering. This is not for sin. This is just kind of a, a fellowship offering, Lord. We want this. We want to give this back to you because everything has come from you, and it's our opportunity to enjoy a meal with you and rejoice in your faithfulness in our lives. And you were not to offer that that which would have a defect. God was not looking for the leftovers. I read this. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, there's jokes about this. I read this one. You know, a farmer was blessed one year. His uh, cow gave birth to twins. And he was so excited. He said, you know what? He came in and told his wife, Honey, uh, the the cow gave birth to twins. I'm so excited. I'm going to just give one of those calves to the Lord. Oh, that's great, honey. 
went back out into the field, you know, and a few weeks later, one of the calves died. He came back home. Honey, guess what? God's calf died. <laughs> the leftover, the, the defective one, the one that was no use anymore, that was God's. <laughs> Good thing ours lived. So you get this idea. God has to speak to this almost, almost comical, really, that the Lord has to mention this. But He knows our hearts, doesn't He? He knows what's in the heart of man. You know, yeah, well, we gotta give, we gotta give the, an offering to the Lord. Oh, this one came out crippled or lame or blind. So, oh, we don't need it anyway. Let's give that one to the Lord. Perfect. No, no, no loss. That's not what God was after. God was after a real sense of giving something back to Him. Something of value. Because it was to be done in faith. If it has no value to us, then it requires no faith in letting it go. Faith is when we have to take a step of, you know, real trusting and, and acknowledging that, you know, I would naturally be better off holding on to this, but because my God is to be trusted and faithful, I'm going to release it unto Him, knowing that He will care and take care of me. A couple of passages, Malachi chapter 1 in verse 8, the prophet Malachi ultimately would have to rebuke the nation of Israel. This would be uh, after the return from Babylon, a long time in Israel's history, but they got into this giving the Lord leftovers. And the prophet Malachi in chapter 1 and verse 8 says, When you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? You know, the Lord will just give him the leftovers. God says, well, listen, if you had an honored guest coming into your home, would you give them the leftovers? Would that be the, 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 the meal that you would prepare? Or would you prepare something of your best? Am I not God worthy of your honor and worthy of your best? And so God speaking to the heart. David, you remember David after he sinned. There was a plague after he numbered the people. Uh, in Second Samuel, there was a plague that broke out upon the land. And he was instructed to go and, and make an offering uh, to stay this plague. And so he goes down to uh, Aruna's house in the king, Second Samuel 24.24. 24. The king said to Aruna. Because Aruna said, oh, here, king, I'll just give it to you. Take whatever you need. I'll, I'll provide everything. And David said, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David understood the principle of, of offering to God something of value, something that was worth something to him. Now God didn't need it. God doesn't need any of it. But it's God trying to get into the heart in that we would trust him, that we would honor him, that we would be good stewards of what comes from him. And when we when we start trying to beat the system, when we start getting greedy or when we start becoming selfish, we we clearly are not walking in faith and we clearly are not really being good stewards of the blessing that God has entrusted to us. So these principles clearly brought out for us in Deuteronomy 
chapter 15. I'd like you to turn with me now to Luke chapter 6. Just take a couple of moments here to look at some of Jesus' words just concerning the heart of generosity and caring for one another. We'll come back to Deuteronomy if we have time. We'll see. You know, Jesus, when, when Jesus began to teach, um, he, he, brought, he brought the real spirit of the law. He didn't just bring the letter of the law, but Jesus really brought the spirit of the law. And he said some things that were almost radical in his day. And to be honest, as you read them, some of the things that Jesus says, they are radical. And it's a call to something that is not natural to us as humans. Not natural to us as self-seeking individuals. And God trying to break us out of that, that trap and learn to live and trust in Him and to walk in faith. Um, pick it up with me in verse 27. I'm in Luke chapter 6. Starting in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies do good to those who hate you. Now that's just, that's radical right out of the box. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And look, your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the unthankful and evil, Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. We'll stop there. We don't have time to go through a lot of very rich teaching here, but I wanted you to to kind of catch the New Testament version of some of what we're reading in Deuteronomy 15. Moses is telling the children of Israel, listen, when you go into the land, take care of one another. Look out for each other. Don't be self-centered. Don't be all about taking advantage of one another. Be gracious with one another. Recognize that you're going to need help one from another as you go. And be generous. 
Because God is the one who will ultimately reward and work it out for you. Trusting the Lord and and God wanting to use you in that process. God wanting to use you to bring blessing and help and relief to others. And really, very similar, Jesus takes it, I think, even farther. Not just your brothers, but as Christians, even you you want to bring a light of generosity and kindness and mercy and patience and graciousness, even into a world that, uh, you know, doesn't even uh, treat you right. Those that would even possibly take advantage of you. And he says, do this because in doing so, you will reflect something of your Heavenly Father. Isn't he, doesn't He send rain upon the just and the unjust? Isn't God merciful to a very sinful world? Every day. Think of the goodness of God just today. Think of the grace and the mercy of God and the long-suffering and the patience of God with a world that, for the most part, reject Him, blaspheme Him, sin against Him. Think of God's patience and mercy, not only with the nation of Israel. Think of God's patience and mercy with our nation. Think of God's patience and mercy with you. How many times have you missed the mark? How many times have you failed of promises never again, Lord? Or, Lord, always and every day and we fall short. How, how many times has God been gracious and lend to you knowing you could never pay Him back? Giving good things to you, taking care of you. You see something of His character. He wants that to be seen through you. It's not just God doing for you. It's God working through you. If you can learn to walk in this. Now you have to use wisdom. And like I said, we don't we don't have time to kind of kind of carve this up and put it in, in some of the context that would, you know, help maybe support even what we've just read. Some of it it's kind of shocking, you know, wait a minute, it's hitting my cheek and I say, Okay now, take take this one too. Of course in that culture this was something of an insult. This wasn't some guy belting you with a left hook and you get up staggering, please give me another, you know. It's not it's not that. It's not asking for it, but it, but this this insult, this backhanded insult. If they you know, don't defend yourself, don't look to to, to get even and retro but but take it and allow them even to give you another if that's what they're bent on doing. He's trying to talk about a character of living that is trusting in God. Your reward will be great. Peter would say this, that when someone for conscience towards God bears up under hardship, this finds favor with God. And in the end, whose favor do you want? You want His. Whose approval in the end is going to matter the most? God's. We want to be pleasing to the Lord. And Jesus, this is challenging. This is almost, to be honest, impossible in our own human strength to walk in this. But Christ is not calling us to walk in it in our own strength. He's asking us to be radical because His love in us is radical. And it needs to manifest in that kind of a changed person, a changed heart, a changed living. Stewardship, something that has been entrusted to me, and faith, believing that God is able to take care of me and care for me. Now, as I said, there's 
There's balance. There's wisdom. These are not the only passage that talk about accountability and, and trusting our resources and how to use our resources. But you know, usually we're pretty good about you know not going to the extremes. The, the difficult challenge is usually learning to walk in faith. It's not very often that we have to really say, hey, brother, you are just too generous. You've got to quit. You are really getting into error. We have got to correct you. Sit down. We've got some verses to share. That's not usually our challenge. <laughs> Although occasionally, you know, we can, you have to, have to use wisdom, and there is a place and an and, and instruction for that. But, but usually... It's learning to walk by faith, letting go, trusting the Lord that what He has given to me is for His glory and for His purpose and for His use. And it's not just money, church. You know that. It's, it's your time. It's your love. It's your mercy. It's your forgiveness. Are you willing to forgive? Yeah, but they don't deserve it. I know that. <laughs> you know that. But neither did you. When Jesus went to that cross for you, neither did you when He, when he forgave you. So it, it's not just about... It, it's, it's understanding this heart of God and trusting God that if you'll honor Him, He will bless you and take care of you. And these things can only be done, really, in faith and by the grace of God. Faith, believing that everything that we have ultimately has come from Him and belongs to Him and that He is able to supply our need, and He's able to supply our generosity. That I will not be able to outgive God if it's truly done in the Lord. God will take care and, and provide seed for the sowing. So it's done in faith, knowing it's of Him, from Him, and for Him. But it's also going to require grace. It's going to require a work of God in your heart. That love, that undeserved love and mercy and favor that has touched your life now becomes the incentive, the motivation for you to allow that kind of love to flow through your life. Freely you have received, now freely give. It's also going to take the grace of God just to empower you to do it. Even when you decide, okay, I'm going to be this way. Okay, I'm going to try and walk in this. Even when your heart aligns up with it, you know, kind of in principle, the actual doing of it, God will test that. God will give you opportunity to be merciful. Lord, make me a merciful person. Fine, I've got just the right person coming your way. Give you an opportunity. Lord, you know, Lord, give me patience. I have just the individual to help you grow in patience, right? The Lord will give you those circumstances. But that's, so even when we know that we should, it's hard to do it, isn't it? It's hard to forgive. It's hard to not be easily offended. It's hard to be generous. It's hard to, to help others, especially when we think somehow, you know, we may never see that again. We may not get it back. But it takes a grace. And it's His love within you. Romans says that the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. It communicates the idea that, it, that it's overflowing. It's not your love. It's not your willpower. It's the grace of God in your life. He's changed you. You're a new person. talks about the empowering of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
the grace of God, the fruit of the Spirit, that giving, that this walking and these kinds of things and graces can only come from the Lord in our relationship with Him through faith and by grace. Let's turn back to, to Leviticus chapter, excuse me, not Leviticus, Deuteronomy. We were in chapter 15. Turn with me to chapter 16. I'm going to finish up tonight just kind of uh, summarizing chapter 16. We won't go into great detail because it is so much of a review. But I, I want to kind of just tag it on to this, this theme because what chapter 16 is, is a review of some of the three major feasts that the children of Israel were to uh, incorporate in their national lifestyle as a nation when they would go into the promised land. And again, it kind of seems disconnected with some of these other thoughts, but not really when you realize that even in your worship life, there is a giving, there's offerings incorporated, but also a giving of your time, a giving of your effort, a giving of your heart. And that you were to do these things in faith. God would call the nation to gather three times a year. Well, that takes work. That's effort. You've got to track your way to wherever the tabernacle would be. Ultimately, it would be the temple in Jerusalem. But they were called to come. And that takes a certain sacrifice, right? That, gosh, my time could be so much better spent working the field. Gosh, there's so much to do. I've got to pack up and we've got to go you know, celebrate Passover down in Jerusalem. You know, and it would, it would require this giving, this sacrificing of your time, your resource, your effort, your energy. And you can think of all the other things that you could be doing. But God wanted this to be a part of their, their national life, again, because it's something done in faith. Listen, if you'll honor me, I'll take care of you. Oh, but you don't know. The harvest is just around the corner. I've got so much to do. If you'll honor me... And come to Jerusalem and worship. And get together with your brother, brethren in the, in the land and remember my faithfulness to you in Egypt. And offer that Passover lamb and celebrate my goodness in your life. If you'll take time out from your busy life and honor and worship me and give that to me in faith as a stewardship of the time that I have given to you, then I will take care of you. Jesus would say, seek first what? the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all the other things. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? All the other things that we tend to worry and stress over. Important things. But if you'll seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, all the other things will be added. Again, I'm just summarizing here tonight. We're not going to take the time to read it through, but just let me remind you of these three major feasts. In verses 1-8, through eight, it would be a discussion of the Passover. And the Passover was to remember their deliverance from Egypt. They were to gather, they were to celebrate by the offering of a Passover lamb, immediately followed by a week of eating unleavened bread. And this was to celebrate God's delivering them as a nation out of Egypt. The Lord did not want them to forget that occasion when He brought them out of slavery and through the wilderness and planted them in the promised land. It all began there in Egypt. And the Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb being 
put over the doorpost. And in time it would be offered in the tabernacle. That blood becoming the Passover for them. The unleavened bread. They wouldn't have time. They would have to leave in haste. They would not have time to actually allow their bread to leaven and come up and rise. They would have to leave so quickly when God delivered them. Paul would tell us that Christ has become our Passover lamb. He was sacrificed, and because of His blood over us, we have been, judgment has been passed over. Death and sin and and all that, that sin brings is no longer upon us because Christ's blood covers us and God has passed over us. The second feast, verses 9 through 12, would be the Feast of Weeks also known as Pentecost, seven weeks, 49 and then one day. And this would be an offering of the first fruits of the harvest. This was to be following Passover. So this would be in kind of the the late spring. And that would be when the very first fruits of harvest could be seen. They were to bring those and they would offer that with joy and thanksgiving again for God's faithfulness to them. Excuse me, in delivering them from Egypt. Now we know that Passover, excuse me, Pentecost became the very first fruits of the Holy Spirit upon the life of the church, right? After Christ was raised, uh, Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, they were gathered in the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of salvation coming upon the church and the Holy Spirit beginning the birth of the New Testament church. And the final feast that they would celebrate, verses 13 through 17, would be the Feast of Tabernacles. This is when they would come and they would gather and they would actually stay out in tents, tabernacles. And this was to celebrate and remember God's faithful provision during their time in the wilderness when they were just living in tents. So they would come and commemorate God's faithfulness to them. And this would also be towards the end of the harvest. This would be kind of around our Thanksgiving time. A celebration of God's faithfulness at the beginning of harvest, a celebration of God's faithfulness at the end, and tying in with these uh, ideas of remembering God's faithfulness to them as a nation when He delivered them from Egypt, when He brought them out with blessing, and when He provided for them all those years in the wilderness. And this was to be an expression of their national worship and something that they were to do regularly. God wanting to cultivate a, a routine, if you will, of worship and fellowship. Not religion. Not to where it would lose its meaning and you would, they would just go through the motions. But rather something that would really be heartfelt. Something done with joy. Something done in celebration. Not, regret, not regretting, oh, we've got to go down to Passover, but praise God. We're going to go celebrate Passover. And we're going to see, you know, we're going to gather together and family and friends and we're going to celebrate together the joy of the Lord. And it was to be done regularly, not religiously in a sense of, you know, duty and obligation and losing its meaning, but rather a regular, disciplined worship life that would produce relationship with Him. And that's, that's what I believe the New Testament calls us to as well. Paul would say things like, pray without ceasing. Jesus, in talking about the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. The assumption is you'll be praying every day. 
There'll be some type of a regular fellowship with Him, a regular communication and worship life with Him. The early church gathered on the first day of the week regularly, what you and I know as Sunday. And so we gather in, in, in you know, following the pattern of the early church. We gather together. Hebrews says, don't forsake that assembling of yourselves one, one with another. Because it's healthy for you. Oh, yeah, it sounds like religion. sounds like this regular routine. It can become that if that's where your heart ends up going with it. But it, that's not what God has in mind. So there is this call to kind of install, instilling a certain disciplined life of worship into our coming and going. And that, that would not to be done you know, without the, the heart, but to be done with the heart. And God would bless that. If you will give to the Lord, even of your time, even something of your day, in thought, in prayer, in the Word, if you will give of your time in fellowship and gathering together in ministry and serving Him in some opportunity that God would, would open up for you to give of yourself, this is what God is calling us to be givers because He has given so much to us. Not out of some burden, not out of some guilt, not out of some religious duty, but out of a relationship that has learned to trust God, that all that I have is from Him, my time, my life, my resources. This is a stewardship from Him and to be done in faith that, that I will never be able to outgive the Lord. If I give of my life in, 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 in ministry, if I give, if I sow into my heart of His Word, if I, if I lift my voice in prayer, if I, if I honor Him in worship, oh, God will greatly bless and multiply those things back to me spiritually and in every other way. God's promise of blessing. We saw that all through chapter 15. The Lord will greatly bless you if you will walk in this stewardship and faith. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for these good lessons for us, God, back in Deuteronomy. Some of it is review, Lord, things we've looked at in books and chapters prior. But I do believe, Lord, there is just a need for a refreshing and a reminding of our own hearts. And I would pray tonight, Lord, that you would help us to glean these things that we've looked at together and find application in our own hearts and lives. Lord, that we would learn to walk as good stewards of all that has been given to us, whether it be gifts or talents, abilities, whether it be of resources whether it just be being able to express love and forgiveness to someone who needs it, an encouraging word, prayer, worship, Lord, that all that I have has come from You. And You've entrusted me with, with what I am able to do and with what I have and what my time is and how I use my time. Lord, it's, You're the one that gives, gives my days. You're the one that has numbered my days. I belong to you. As Peter said, Lord, we're bondservants of Jesus, freely living our lives for you and in service to you. Help us to be good stewards, God, and help us to do it in faith, not begrudgingly, 
Not in fear. Not in worry or resenting what we have to kind of give back to God. But that we would do it with joy. Because You've given so much to us. Lord, You've been good to us. Lord, You've treated us right. You've treated us so much better than we deserve. Jesus, what is it for me to be forgiving when You have forgiven me so much? Lord, what is it of You to ask me to walk in love towards one another when You have loved me so much? Lord, what is it of You to ask me to keep my hands open generously because everything that I have has come from You? Lord, help us to see this and to walk in it. And as our heads are bowed here tonight and getting ready to close in a song of worship, I I do want to give an opportunity if you're here tonight and you need to respond to the Lord, it may be that you need to give your life to Jesus. He's given His life for you and your sin at the cross. He is that sacrificial lamb. He is your Passover. And maybe you've never really given your life, your heart to Him. You've never received from Him the mercy and the grace that He has for you. I'd love to pray for you if you're here tonight and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. Or maybe you're here tonight and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Him. Maybe as you think about the Word tonight, you realize that you're living... You're not living in fellowship with Him. You're not walking in that relationship of worship and prayer and closeness. You realize that you're distant from Him tonight and living your own life apart from Him and God's calling you and asking you to return to Him and give yourself afresh and anew. I would like to pray for you too. If you're here tonight and the Lord is speaking to you and you would like to give your life to Him, receive Jesus for the very first time, or you would like to rededicate and recommit your life to the Lord, would you raise your hand here tonight so I can see you and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight, Lord, speaking to you? Raise your hand so I can see you. God bless you. One hand there and toward the back. Anyone else? Just before I pray for this one. And so, Lord, I do ask that you would meet this heart tonight with your love and with your grace and freely give them again the blessing and joy of your salvation. Wash them and cleanse them, Lord. Renew their heart. Refresh their life with Your Spirit. God, I pray that they would come back to You in earnest with all of their heart and giving themselves completely to You. Lord, that they would become, as Peter said, Your bondservant, freely, willingly giving themselves completely to You. And in that, they would find great peace and blessing and joy and purpose mercy and forgiveness and love. Meet them, Lord, and overflow them tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.